chapter 2. And if you don't have your Bible with you, grab a pew Bible. You can find Daniel chapter 2 spread out on pages 873, 874, and 875. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that pew Bible and make it your Bible. The only thing we ask you to do is to read your Bible. We continue through the Daniel plan, and uh, each week, as a reminder, if you've not been with us for the first two weeks, we're doing three things during this sermon slot. The first is we're looking at one of the five key essentials of the faith. In fact, if you have your bulletin, turn to page 12 in your bulletin, and it illuminates, page 12, page 6 in your bulletin, and it illuminates the five key essentials. I don't know where 12 came from, page 6 in your bulletin. The five key essentials of the Daniel plan are faith, food, fitness, focus, and fellowship. And each week we're going to give an extended writing in the bulletin. This week it's on faith, and you can find that extended teaching, extended writing on page 7. We're also going to hear a testimony from someone in our church who has expertise in one of these areas. And we've heard from Dr. Susan Klein in week 1 and Dr. Stephanie Kluver in week 2. And today we're going to hear from Dee Melansky uh, just a little bit later. And then we will have an extended teaching from the Daniel Plan from God's Word. This week, it's Daniel chapter 2. When we signed up to do the Daniel plan, uh, Rick Warren and his team sent us a, a plethora of materials, and one of the things that they did is they gave us sermon outlines and sermon focuses, and here's week one's message, and, and we stayed pretty close to the vest with week one and week two teachings from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then last week from Romans chapter 12, but Week three's message just didn't really connect with me, didn't really feel comfortable with it, so I have thrown that aside completely, and what I want to do is I want to spend some time looking at the life of Daniel, and really the principles of his life that allowed him to be what we would call a great hero of the faith. So here's the deal. If you are really into the Daniel plan, I know a lot of you are, you bought the book, you're in a group study, you're trying to do the food and the fitness, but you also have the faith and the focus and the fellowship, these principles are going to be right up your alley. If you're here today and you don't even know what the Daniel plan is, you're a visitor, it's 4th of July weekend, these principles will help you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you look at the Daniel plan and you say, I'm not even sure the church should even be doing it, that sounds like something that should be done someplace else, I don't like the Daniel plan, I'm sick of hearing about the Daniel plan, these principles will help you as a follower of Jesus Christ as you strive to, to live for the Lord each day. So with that, let me dive in and say first and foremost, principle number one, and it's probably what we think of when we think of the life of Daniel. Daniel was a hero of the faith. Daniel was a man of God who had an unwavering conviction. He had an unwavering conviction. Think for just a moment when you think Daniel what stories from his life come to mind? Anybody, just shout one out. The lion's den is the obvious one, that's right. Any others? You have to talk louder than that, I can't hear. Anyone else think of anything else? Well, the food situation, that's right. Our, our first message two weeks ago, we looked at Daniel chapter 1 and the idea that he wouldn't eat the, from the king's table. He wouldn't drink the king's wine. He was willing to only eat vegetables and only drink water. He kind of had that unwavering conviction. 
we think of Daniel chapter 3. Not necessarily Daniel, but his three best buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refusing to worship an idol of Nebuchadnezzar. We put those up on the screen because those are the three most memorable illustrations, three most memorable happenings from the Daniel plan. Chapter 1, we won't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. We won't drink wine that's been sacrificed to gods. We're going to have this unwavering conviction that we're only going to eat vegetables, we're only going to drink water. Now, I want you to think of how that plays out in our world today. Daniel and his three friends could have easily just said, you know what? I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to make anybody mad. So I'm just going to eat the food. I'm just going to drink the wine. I'm just going to go with the flow. That's what I'm going to do. He could have very easily done that. But he had an unwavering conviction that what is right is right. What God's called me to do is what I'm going to do. And let the consequences unfold where they may. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, erected a 90-foot golden image of himself. And he said, every time my band plays, every time the instrumentalists start playing their music, you're going to bow down and you're going to worship this idol. And so the band played and everyone bowed down to worship the, the, the golden image, the idol. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not, we're not doing it. That's sin. That's sinning against God. We will not bow down and worship the idol. They were thrown in the fiery furnace. And if you've read Daniel chapter 3 all the way through, you know that at one point, while they're in the fiery furnace, it's not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that's in there, but there's a fourth person in there. And a lot of people think it was actually Jesus that was in there. We know it was an angel of the Lord, but some say it was actually Jesus that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. The cool thing about Daniel chapter 3 is after all of that unfolded, Nebuchadnezzar, maybe the most evil person in Scripture up to this point in time, proclaims how awesome Daniel's God is. How awesome Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God is. The end of Daniel chapter 3. And then Daniel chapter 6, probably the most famous account from the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. This is way late in Daniel's life. He's probably 90 at this point. The Babylonians aren't running the show anymore. Nebuchadnezzar's long gone. But now the Persians are, are pretty much control the world. And the king during this time is a king by the name of Darius. And Darius is kind of tricked into um, putting in this proclamation that the only person you can pray to is Darius. He's not really even sure why he's doing it, but his advisors say, you know, you need to do it. And the problem with that is Daniel, at 90 years of age, only prays to the Lord as God. It's a trap to kind of out Daniel as a God-fearer. And so, sure enough, before long, people go and tattle on Daniel. He's praying with his window open for everyone to be able to see. And they go and they say, Darius, we got bad news for you. This Daniel that you think is so awesome, that old man, he's not praying to you. He's praying to another God. And so Darius does what the law says. Daniel must be thrown in the lion's den. And, and the Lord again provides a supernatural protection. And Daniel is spared from what would seem to be a sure death at the hands of the lion, or the, the, the mouths of the lion, really. And Daniel survives. And once again, just like Nebuchadnezzar previously, Darius proclaims how awesome Yahweh is. How awesome Daniel's God is. And so that's the big idea, the big first principle, an unwavering conviction. When we think Daniel, we think drawing a line in the sand. We think no compromise. 
And I would just say, that's what I hope would describe my life. And I hope that's what would describe your life, is an unwavering conviction that whatever else is going on, whatever laws are being passed, whatever's unfolding, I am unwavering in my conviction to the Lord my God. I am unwavering in my followership of Jesus Christ. But what I want to do this morning is give you another story from Daniel's life. It's less known. It's not as uh, ah, awesome and flashy. There's no lions. There's nothing along those lines. But, but I think within Daniel chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, there's at least, there's probably more, but there's at least four more principles from his life that we can put into practice in our life. So I'm going to do something that we don't do here a lot. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture. I'm going to read like 40 verses of scripture, and I'm going to try to do it as smoothly as possible, but I need you to really put on your thinking caps and try to engage with me Daniel chapter 2. What's the context? The context is Nebuchadnezzar's having dreams, and no one can tell him about his dreams, and the result is that Daniel's pretty awesome, and he's able to do it. So let's see the story, Daniel chapter 2. It says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. That's a pretty simple request. That's why a king or a president or a leader of a country has advisors. They want to know what something means. Verse 4, then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Again, very common. Verse 5, this is where it gets uncommon. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Coffee, anyone? Tea, anyone? But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream, we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Two things. Number one, it is an unreasonable expectation. He's not just saying interpret the dream. He's saying, I want you to tell me what I am dreaming. I want you to get inside my head, and I want you to be able to tell me what is my dream. That's a crazy, crazy request. Secondly, do you see their theology here in verse 11? No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. It tells us about the theology of these astrologers. Uh, They didn't believe that there was a personal relationship with the gods. They believed that the gods were in some distant place. 
and they try to curry favor with them somehow, but they're not relevant for us today. Let's read on, verse 12. This made Nebuchadnezzar so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officers, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That is really Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are their original names. Daniel urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden messages. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you. I praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And then he gets ready to interpret the dream. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. And I won't read the dream, but basically it's a dream of five kingdoms. And, and he's able to interpret the dream for him. He says, king, here's the deal. Kingdom number one, that's your kingdom. It's awesome now, but it's going to fade. Kingdom number two, it's the Persians. They're going to be awesome for a while. They will fade. Kingdom number three, it's, it's the Greeks and Alexander the Great. And it'll be great for a while and it'll fade. And Kingdom number four in your vision, it's the Romans. And the Roman Empire's going to be the greatest of the great, but it will fade. But king, there's a fifth kingdom, and it's a kingdom that will endure forever. And it's the kingdom that the Apostle Peter writes about, a kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And so Daniel is able to tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream, and then he's able to interpret his dream. And I want you to jump all the way down to verse 46 in Daniel chapter 2, almost done. I love the response of this awful, evil, terrible, no good king of Babylon. Verse 46, then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God 
is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him, made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were made administrators over the province of Babylon as well, while Daniel himself remained at the, the royal court. I love this account. Even though it's not as flashy as the lion's den, it's not as flashy as the fiery furnace, maybe it's not as practical, you think, as refusing to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine, because there's at least four principles that I need to live my life by and you need to live your life by. Daniel plan, no Daniel plan. These will, will help you be a better follower of Jesus Christ. And number one is this, Daniel leaned on godly friends during times of stress and trial. Daniel leaned on godly friends during times of stress and trial. He didn't go it alone. Now, he could have done it alone. He could have tried to do it all by himself, but he didn't. He said, I understand the value of godly friendships. And so let me ask you, where are you at this morning on, on, on the scope of godly friendships? Do you have people that you truly can lean on in your relationship with the Lord that help you grow, that help you develop? Look at verse 18. When Daniel thinks that all the wise men, including himself, are going to be put to death, verse 18 says that Daniel urged his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. At this time, I'm going to ask Dee to come on up. Dee Molansky has been a member of our church for quite some time. She's very actively involved in our college ministry. She's been on mission trips with our group, and uh, I've asked her to come and just share her experience with uh, the, the, the topic of godly friendships and the difference that they can make. Good morning, everybody. And I will have to say I have been truly blessed with numerous friends from this church, and life would not have been the same without those friends. The friends essential, and this is straight from the Daniel plan. For many of you, this isn't the first time you've tried to get your health under control. The secret sauce is friends. Friends bring it all together. When it comes to your health, everybody needs a buddy. After all, God created the universe in such a way that we need each other. In fact, the New Testament uses the phrase one another over and over. It says, love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, support one another. The word support literally means to increase one's potential. We can do a lot of things on our own, but when we've got somebody rooting for us, such as our friends, it's amazing how much more we can do. And however, when we support each other, we increase one another's potential in every area of our life. I know we had a Sunday school class called Koinonia here, and I just want to share this. In the New Testament, Koinonia, it is most often translated fellowship a word we sometimes tend to use as a synonym for socializing, perhaps with our church friends, but koinonia means far more than mere socializing or even gathering in a small group. It means love, intimacy, and joyful participation, deep communion with one another, putting others' needs before your own. 
It's a radical level of friendship and community, similar than that of the early church described in Acts. It implies a deep commitment, not out of obligation, but out of genuine and joyful love for one another. I was fortunate to have a group of friends, and honestly, I don't remember how it started, but good old Becky Glenn asked me to go walking one time, and we started walking, and I bet it's been over 20 years ago that we've just called one another and walked, and through the years, we've added other friends, and uh, out of that walking group, we've shared, we've laughed, we've cried, and not only have we done that, but sharing the faith, we shared the Daniel plan last summer, and I started a small group that we met, and with that small group, with the Daniel plan, we shared scriptures, those that we were reading on our own during the week, we would come together and share what had touched our hearts and how it was working in our lives. Because the Daniel plan also has the diet and the food, we talked about different foods we had tried, encouraged one another to try something new. How can you make those recipes a little healthier? Um, it, it's interesting when you're trying to do a small group when we're all used to bringing in cookies and sweets to share, trying to come up with creative ideas. Um, Sugar-free jello on grapes and freeze them is an awesome summer treat. Granted, when you're doing the detox, that's not one of them, but it, it is still a healthy thing. We also shared fitness ideas. Be cautious. If you come to my house, I'm going to have you sign a medical waiver that says that if you come out and play with me, that um, I'm not responsible if you get hurt. Just ask Jan Dial. Um, and most in most important is fellowship, strong friendships. That is the key to a happy, healthy life. We support one another, we encourage, we share, we help face challenges, and we live for Christ as sisters in Christ. And that strong, everlasting bond is so different than any other friendship you may have. My husband once asked me, Dear, why do you go for a walk? You know, if you go to the gym, you're going to work out harder. You're going to lose more. You're just going to sweat more. And it's like, uh, yeah, but I need the mental health of my friendships. If you walk and talk with friends, it's amazing how quickly you can walk three to four miles and never break a sweat. Or even if you do, you really don't care because that time of sharing made that time go so quickly. And as a nurse, the Daniel plan is very much a holistic type of care. It's not just focusing on diet or exercise. It's the whole plan of health. You need your friendships, your focus, your food, your fitness. And when you put those all together, it's also fun. So I encourage you today to reach out to friends, whether it be a phone call, a text, spare of the moment, grab somebody and go for a walk and share today. Thank you. Amen. Will you express your appreciation to Dee? Thank you. <laughs> Daniel leaned on godly friends. Principle three is that Daniel made worship a staple of his life. He made worship a staple of his life. 
when the dream and the dream interpretation was revealed to Daniel, he could have went a couple different directions. But look at what he did in verse 19. Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. And he, he went on and on. We won't read all of that. Let's put that next scripture up on the screen. Uh, verse 19. He, he said, God, you are awesome. God, you are incredible. God, you revealed this to me. And even though I may get the credit for it, it's all about you. He made worship a priority in his life. Is worship a priority in your life? Is worship something that's central to your week? I love the posts that I'll see on Facebook from some of you, and you do it on a regular basis, and, and it warms my heart when you do it. Something along the lines of starting my week off right at First Christian Church. Uh, starting my week off right with a time of worship. I think that's great because obviously you're sharing a testimony. I think it's also great because it's encouraging to other people. But here's what I want to say about that. Way to go. Two thumbs up. I hope we all want to be here at 1030 on Sunday mornings or 815 on Sunday mornings. But understand worship is more than just an hour in the sanctuary once a week. Worship is, is our life. And it's how we live our life. It's walking with friends at Weldon Springs. It's gathering around a table at Hardee's at 6 a.m. It's how you live your life at work. Some of you, you have awful work context. You, you have tough, tough situations. And if you can stand strong for the Lord and keep your faith and be salt and be light, man, that's an act of worship. Last week, we, we looked at Romans chapter 12. Maybe the greatest worship verse in all of the Bible. We don't think of Romans 12 as a worship passage, but here's what it says. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So if you find yourself already dreading when the alarm clock's going to go off, man, I got to go to work again. I got to go hang out with those people again. I got to go hear the garbage again. Maybe you need to refocus. Maybe you need to rethink why God has you in that situation and look at Monday morning, 8 o'clock, or Monday morning, 6.30, whatever time you go to work, as a beginning of an opportunity to worship the Lord at work. Principle number four, Daniel was unashamedly a man of prayer. That's a staple all the way through his life. We see it more in chapter 6, but right here in chapter 2, Daniel was unashamedly a man of prayer. And right here, for some of us, we say, you know, I'm just not the prayer that I want to be. I don't have the prayer life that I want to be. I'm not as good at prayer as others might be. I, I could throw out five or six names of people that are absolute prayer warriors, and I look at them and I'm like, man, I wish I was like her. I wish I was like him. But here's the thing about prayer. You know what makes you a good prayer? Praying. Just rolling up your sleeves and getting busy. Everyone in here today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you could get good at prayer. Here, here's how you get good at prayer. Do it. do it. Do it today. Do it tomorrow morning. Now, I think there are ways that help us. One of the things that's helped me is writing notes, call it journaling, whatever you want to do. Um, writing down prayer requests. Writing down times of praise. It's really cool when you do that. You kind of have a written account of what was I praying for in January? What was I praying about in April? And how did God answer those prayers? But Daniel was unashamedly a man of prayer. And then finally, principle five, and this kind of flows through all of it, Daniel was a man of humility despite incredible giftedness. Daniel was a man of humility 
despite incredible giftedness. Daniel was in a pretty cool spot in our account today, chapter 2, verse 27. He knew what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. He knew what the interpretation of the dream was going to be. And he knew that Nebuchadnezzar was ticked. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar was ready to, you know, turn houses into piles of rubble and cut his astrologers into pieces. So Daniel really had a lot going for him. And he could have went in with his chest puffed out and said, hey, look at me. I'm smarter than all the other astrologers. I've got more on the ball than anybody else. But his response to Nebuchadnezzar's request is exactly the same as all the other responses with one caveat. Look at verse 27. It says, Daniel said to the king, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel's saying, I can't do it either. I'm just like those guys. But the one thing I've got going for me that they don't have going for them and you don't have going for you is the Lord my God. And he's the difference maker. That is true, true humility. Some of us, man, we are incredibly blessed. Some of us, we're incredibly talented. Some of us have every reason in the world to puff our chest out and say, check me out. And yet Daniel, more than any of us, said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be a person of humility. Will you be a person of humility? One of the slang terms that, that, that goes around, people will say to someone, well, you are the man. It's kind of a compliment, you are the man. And if you ever say that to Kevin Peterson, if you ever say, KP, you are the man, I love his response every time. He says, I'm not the man, but I work for the man. That's a great motto. That's a great way to put everything truly into perspective. Daniel, principles to live by. Well, as I wrap up my time this morning, I want to conclude again with some tips. Daniel planned tips for week three. And number one is this D really hit this well. I'm just going to read this and move on. But she said, understand the Daniel plan is more than just food and fitness. It's more than just eating right. It's more than just going for a walk or going for a bike ride. Don't overlook the need for and the importance of faith focus and friends and on page seven of your bulletin there's an extended writing on why faith is so important and the power of god's word and the power of the holy spirit and the power of life circumstances see sometimes we don't realize that sometimes i believe the lord uses life circumstances good or bad to really mold us from a faith perspective i look back to some of what i thought were the worst times of my life and I think the most spiritual growth took place. And I praise God for those opportunities. I wasn't praising Him at the time. I wasn't two thumbs up at the time. But God used life circumstances to help me grow in my faith. Tip number two, memorize truth from God's Word every day. Don't let a day go past that you don't memorize truth from God's Word. At our camp every week, we... Uh, we take a, a morning memory verse time. It's before we eat breakfast. And we line all the campers up. This week we had 114 campers. And this week we taught, taught them five of the I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And on Friday I thought, well, man, that's a bummer. Saturday I'm not going to memorize a verse of Scripture. And I thought to myself, well, that's really dumb. Why not? 
Why not just take time and memorize truth each day? Let God's Word be powerful for you. Uh, when I was eight, nine years old, I went to vacation Bible school at my home church in Champaign, and I made a pillow. And I'm not very talented artistically, as many of you know. And that pillow didn't look very artistic at all. But I remember it had two things that were supposed to be birds and kind of a branch of some sort. But it had a scripture on it. Here's what it said. Cast all your cares on the Lord. He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares on the Lord. He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. So I memorized that verse at 8 or 9, something along those lines. That verse has ministered to me most of the rest of my life. I can't tell you the number of times that I've needed to remind myself in the midst of stress, in the midst of worry, in the midst of just concern, that I can give all the junk to the Lord. I can give all the anxiety to Him. I can give all the garbage to Him. Because He cares for me. He cares for me. Memorize truth each day. And then finally, number three, share your Daniel Plan experiences with others. There's a couple different uh, Facebook pages rolling around. Some of you that aren't social media people, pick up the telephone, share your success stories, share your struggles. We'll grow in this together. And next week, we move on to week four. And I will not be preaching next week, but Cody Monkman will be bringing the message. And he's got some special things planned, a message entitled The Group Factor why we need each other. Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, thank you for today, and thank you for the chance to gather together and to, to look at just a real hero of the faith. We thank you so much for Daniel and the difference that he was able to make because he had that unwavering conviction, because he had godly friends, and worship was a staple, and he was a prayer warrior, and he did it all with humility. It's my prayer that that's how people will look at us when they see our lives. They'll see people that love you with an unwavering conviction and have value for godly friendship, value worship, practice prayer, and close it all in humility. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is uh, invitation time as it is every Sunday at FCC. This will also be the song that will lead us into our time of communion. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ this morning, I invite you to come during this song. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I'd be honored to have the opportunity to pray with you as we stand together and Samuel and the team leads us in our song of commitment.